I don't want to be a martyr. Nor I. I want to live. That is good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. The cross commands you. The blood of the martyrs commands you. I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. Hello, we have today Oxford Martyr number three. Now, this one is not as well known for quotes, although it probably should be, because this one is just straight up like dudeness. Like a guy who struggles, has difficulty, and when the chips are down, actually overcomes. Now, who are we talking about? Well, if you paid attention last week, you know I told you there were three Oxford martyrs. We covered uh, Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley. Well, the third one is Thomas Cranmer. He should be the more famous of the, well, the most famous of the three. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury for three different monarchs. Now, granted, he wasn't Archbishop of Canterbury very long under his third monarch, Mary I, but can't really hold that against him, especially when you consider he actually had some success and survived Henry VIII's reign. If you survive Henry VIII, you deserve some credit. <coughs> you also deserve a little bit of side-eye, because what that tells you is that Cranmer is a bit of a political animal. And again, I'm not faulting the man for that. It just comes with the territory of his world. But that's one of the reasons why he gets the side glance from a lot of Protestants, because he doesn't get the respect as a full-blown great martyr. You know, he's not Polycarp or Ignatius or Latimer or Ridley. He's kind of like, eh. I argue he shouldn't be because he's probably closer to what most of us would actually be. Mentioned before, he is the main editor of the Book of Common Prayer uh, two times, uh, 1549 during the first writing and then the uh, editing during 1552. And by the way, you want to talk about a political football. The Anglican Book of Common Prayer gets edited in 1552, gets edited again by Elizabeth, because remember, she's more monarch than she is Protestant, gets edited again by James I, then it gets edited again after the glorious revolution of the 17th century, and that's the one they're still using. So, I mean, you know, talk about, again, a political football being punted around. Now, note, if you know your English history, you will notice that 1549, the Book of Common Prayer, the thing that helps solidify the work that helps solidify the Reformation in England, that's during the reign of Edward VI, meaning it wasn't during the reign of Henry VIII. And that makes a lot of sense. Remember, Henry is a royalist first, a Catholic and or Protestant, depending on his mood that day, second. Cranmer, who held... Lutheran and Zwinglian leanings was not dumb enough to try to impose them upon the church during Henry's reign because he liked having his neck attached to both his head and his shoulders at the same time. And Henry was fond of people who crossed him, you know, having that sort of part of the anatomy severed. So, <sighs> Edward, of course, is sick. Edward dies. There's a plot to get Lady Jane Grey upon the throne. It sort of kind of works quickly, but the problem is England is too traditional. There are too many outer groups that believe in the hereditary... Um, oh, shoot. What's the word? It just went right out of my head. When one person ascends after the other one. There's a, there's a word for it. I don't know what it is right now. Oh, my goodness. I don't talk for a living or anything, do I? So, anyway, it's not... You ascend to the throne in succession. That's the word. 
They believe in the traditional succession, and Mary had a better claim being the half-sister of Edward, the actual daughter of Henry VIII, as opposed to Lady Jane Grey, who was merely a cousin. So... Lady Jane doesn't make it. Mary takes the throne. Cranmer actually urges several of the bishops in and around England to flee. Get your butts out while the getting is good, while he himself remains in England. Now, while he's there, he leads the funeral procession for Edward VI. He still is holding service on a regular basis. He is still trying to solidify Protestant doctrine in the Church of England. Remember, at this point, you now have no longer a church in England. You have the Church of England. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's not going to end well. There's rumors that he allowed the Mass in the cathedral. He rejects those. Um, holds only Protestant services according to the book. Well, you know that's how that's going to end with Mary, who, again, like her father, is a... Well, unlike her father, actually, more like her uh, her half-brother. She's a Catholic first and a queen second. So Cranmer is arrested for—wait for it, wait for it—treason! That's what it looks like with an absolute monarchy, with the divine right of king, something Cranmer would have held to. And the king or queen, in this case, the monarch, is of a different religion. You holding a different religion is tantamount to treason. Cranmer is then imprisoned for two years. He gets a trial. Now, this is a fascinating trial to me because Cranmer admits to all of the accusations. So the Catholic priests, the bishops, the counselors for Mary, all the accusations they bring, Cranmer goes, yep, yep, I did that, yep, I did that, yeah, I did that, but denies treason and heresy. Because we're already starting to see in popular in the popular world here that there's a distinction between who you are and how we worship Christ as far as the monarchy is concerned. Now, that's not going to fly with the trial, so you can imagine that Cranmer is quite quickly convicted. Now, this is where things get interesting. Cranmer actually gets to watch the execution of Latimer and Ridley. And I mentioned last week that the execution of um, Ridley doesn't exactly go according to plan. And I wonder if that had any bearing on Cranmer. I wonder if that changed his mind or kind of softened his heart a little bit because this is where things get weird for Cranmer. He doesn't get executed right away because he has a series of recantations, four or five, up to six in writing, depending on how you read the sources. Now, what's fascinating about that is according to canon law, so according to church structure, Cranmer recants in writing, Rome reads the recantation, approves of it, and he is granted papal absolution. Now! If you are a Catholic monarch, you are required by canon law to give clemency to a newly inflocked member of the faith. Cranmer at one point is actually let out of prison after his fourth recantation, partakes of the Mass, is dealing in theology again, um, comes crossways of the bishop, so it makes you wonder what's going on here, and is sent back to prison. Now, <clears throat> Mary doesn't want to give clemency to Cranmer. She views him as too important. She views him as too high profile. And regardless of the fact 
that he has recanted and received absolution. She still wants him executed, even though it is a religious charge, on governmental grounds. He is too dangerous to leave alive. But you have four, at least, written recantations that have been circulated and talked about. If you're going to execute him, you're going to execute him on a secular charge, the best thing you can do here is now give a public recantation and audible one. So Cranmer is actually given the pulpit, of course, with prepared notes that he was, you know, given beforehand. Cranmer goes through, urges obedience to the monarchy, urges obedience to Christ, and then goes off script and says, as for the Pope, I refuse him as Christ's enemy and antichrist with all his false doctrine. They literally have to tackle Cranmer and <laughs> drag him away from the pulpit because this didn't go as planned. He's supposed to get up there and recant, you know, be welcomed back into the faith, and then we'll execute him. Cranmer realizing my recantations didn't get me anywhere. Oh, I'm just going for it now. Which is, again, why I wonder if maybe watching the the failures of the execution of Ridley, if that had some effect on him and maybe brought some fear into the into the situation, which is, again, why I'm forever warning you. Lean into Christ. Don't trust this world. Now, Cranmer acknowledges that he wrote the recantations with what he now refers to during his sermon as a cursed right hand and proclaims from the pulpit that he will burn the hand first. According to testimony, they drag him to the stake, tie him up, light the fire, and this time they get it right. They get a Latimer fire, not a Ridley fire, so it goes whoosh, you know, it's uh, to the point that the onlookers talk about the, at certain points the flames were so high that you couldn't see Cranmer behind them. But the people that could see him, in the times that you could see him, the entire time that he stood, he stood with his right hand extended to the point that even when he was not burned, his own right hand is described as black as char. And he kept referring to his cursed right hand during the execution, meaning he abhorred his weakness and his willingness to write these recantations. He then punishes himself by and his hand by having it burned first and standing steadfast, meaning he didn't have the strength to face what he needed to face when he watched Latimer and Ridley die. He had the strength when it was his turn. Always remember this, Christian. You are given the grace for the moment, not before, not too late, but when you need it. Cranmer's last words. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I see the heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. See, I like Cranmer. Cranmer is a dude who was tempted and who fell and who struggled and who had difficulty, who in the end persevered because the Holy Spirit persevered within him and drug him across that finish line. And even though that finish line was a grisly death, it is a finish line that ushered him into the glories of the kingdom. May we all have such strength. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.